I am on edgesportfishing.com, a fishing charter website sailing out of Jupiter, Florida. It's owned and operated by Captain George Labonte. And on his bio page, you will find these words. Spend 50 years doing anything and you're bound to gain some useful perspective. And what seems like the blink of an eye, the time has passed and you wake up one day wondering where it all went. I've been fascinated with all wildlife since birth. Fish of every description and the pursuit of them has consumed me for all of my years on the planet. Making a living at trying to outsmart fish seemed like a stretch. And despite what every responsible role model told me about the slim likelihood of succeeding in the industry, I persisted. Mostly because I never wanted to stop fishing or get a real job like everyone else. Unlocking the mystery of what goes on at the other side of the water's surface is a puzzle that is constantly evolving and changing. Whether you're a lifelong angler or a first-timer, if the fish are calling to you, listen to them. They'll teach you, too, a few things about themselves, about people, and about life. This is 15 Minutes Of, and I'm Dan Tebow. I have known George for 43 years. We grew up together in the tough section of a city south of Boston, Massachusetts. We worked together. We played music. We drank beer. We dated sisters and spent many, many hours outdoors hunting and fishing. Anything I know about fishing in particular is from him. It was and still is his passion. Whenever there was an opportunity, he would be on a shoreline or in a canoe waiting for the water to roil and to set the hook. The thought that he would ever achieve his dream of making his passion a livelihood to his friends, even me, was a wistful fantasy. And while the rest of us donned our suits and ties or our tradesmen's tools or sat in stifling cubicles, he kept putting on camo or relining his reel, embarking into a workplace overarched by the sun, the sky, and the universe itself. Fast forward to today, and what you will find is that he has worked at the same place for his entire life, in the outdoors, in nature, on the land, on the sea. And he hasn't just eked out a living. He is a published author, a radio show personality, expert guide in both hunting and fishing. He hosts a pair of television series, Florida Sportsman's Best Boat and Project Dreamboat, both produced by the Outdoor Sportsman Group and airing on the Sportsman Channel, as well as the World Fishing Network and YouTube. He is a professional in every sense of the word and brings credibility, education, and thought leadership to what is only a hobby for many, but in a larger sense, one of the biggest recreational industries in the world today. George, it is my extreme pleasure to welcome you to 15 Minutes Of. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you, Dan. Man, listening to you describe me here, it's, uh, it's hard to imagine that you're talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get to know you a little bit more. This is my segment where I ask a few questions, things that you probably will never be asked in real life. You ready? This is real life, isn't it? I guess it is. <laughs> All right. I'll let her rip. If you were to write an epic piece of music, in what genre would it be? 
you know what, Dan? I'd probably have to say some type of a like symphonic movie score type mm. of piece that it would probably fit the bill for me. I mean, it seems to be always like a musical score going in the background in my mind all the time. So that probably would work. That's interesting. How about something like the score from Jaws, you know, which fits my lifestyle pretty, you know, aptly. It certainly does. Think about John Williams, you know, monster, monster composer. He takes a half a dozen basses, a bunch of cellos, some trombones, you know, a, a big tuba, and puts that all together and makes a sound that essentially transports you underwater into this cold, like, green, dark Cape Cod just eerie water, and you hear that low EF, EF bass line come in, and before you ever even see a shark, you know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, it brings a giant man-eating shark to life, basically for the whole world's imagination, and heck, you didn't even see the shark until the movie was half over, but you knew what it was as soon as you heard those notes. Dan, who doesn't hear those notes to this day without thinking about a big shark? Nobody. It, it, every time I hear it, I get anxious. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Question two, if you could put up a giant billboard on the busiest road in your town, what would it say? I would say right off the top of my head, and this probably relates to a discussion I had with my wife this morning too, and it, the, a catchphrase that I always go back to is, all things merge into one, in a nutshell. Basically, that's a Norman McLean quote, the guy who wrote, a river runs through it. If you've ever seen that movie or read that book, he has a little monologue in the background at the end of the movie. And that all things merge into one, that metaphor for our lives, basically in your life, you know, like that river, it's going to come with all kinds of twists and turns and various obstacles that you're basically powerless, you know, to exert any influence over. And, you know, you can bend your course here and there slightly, but in the end, as hard as you try, you can't redirect the flow of where you're headed. Essentially, it's like uh, the merger of spirituality and science or your soul and nature. I mean, like we recently talked about, actually. Mm. You know, it also implies that what you do to anyone or anything, you do to yourself, too. So it's all we're all part of the same pieces in the same puzzle, buddy. That's great. Here's my last question. Have you ever seen Bigfoot? <laughs> the actual Bigfoot? <laughs> Listen, as much time as I've spent in the woods in my lifetime, you think that I might have, but no, as of this moment, I have not run into any Bigfoot. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping, you know what, I, I often have a bag of beef jerky with me when I'm in the woods, so if I ever run into one, I'm lucky I'm going to be one step ahead of them. Awesome. I'm glad. You, you know, I figured you'd be prepared for anything, and that would be <laughs> top of the list. Well, let me take you back a few years, okay. and uh, I'm looking at your website. I'm looking at a picture of you, you're two years old, you're holding a fishing rod, and it looks like oh, yeah. you're at a reservoir or something. Where where were you, and who took that picture? Why is that up on your website? It's funny you say that. Actually, you and I might have actually been to that spot in our lives together. That picture was taken at a pond that's up there behind some houses. It's up there by the Blue Hill Cemetery in Braintree, Mass. Mm. My parents took me there to fish when I was a kiddo. I added that to my website really to illustrate how our earliest experiences can really shape our lives in a way that you never imagined. In the picture I'm showing off, it's probably like a, a sunfish or a bluegill or something that I caught. Basically, the thrill of that moment for me when I was two 
was every bit as valuable as the same thrills I get right now from catching a thousand pound tuna, for example. Mm-hmm. They both elicit the same response in your brain. I mean, whether you're that kid or, or professional that's fished all around the world, the anticipation, the tension, the drama, adrenaline, and you know what ultimately ends up triumph or failure, all that stuff. It's no different for a little kid pulling a sunfish out of a pond as it is for a guy trying to catch a, a world record blue marlin or something. You know, I'm sure those early trips planted a seed in my brain that would lead to me being right here at this moment. My dad, you know, he was an avid outdoorsman and he exposed me to a lot of things in nature and fishing and, you know, wildlife and stuff from the time I was born. So, you know, not long after that picture was taken, my dad left our lives for several years and my curiosity about nature stayed behind basically, I mean, with me and he resurfaced in my life, you know, when I was about 11 he came with an offer to me and my brother to work on a charter boat that he was running, you know, and thank God my mother let him have his way and let us go do it. That was the beginning of my career here, you know, in mm-hmm. the offshore fishing world. I was hooked for life. So I fished with him, you know, for several years. And when I was about 15, I essentially decided he wasn't going as hard as I wanted to in the game. So I started looking for other opportunities and I fished with a bunch of people and I'm not my dad, and then I went off and started working on boats, and I basically never looked back. Essentially, I decided I'm going to do this for real. I'm going to just go fishing. I started traveling and worked on a bunch of boats and learned from a lot of really good people and essentially the best in the business. And, you know, a lot of times did it for free, and I just ended up turning into a fishing bum, and I spent my whole life doing it. And one day I had enough chops to call my own shots, and I started making money doing it. I'll guess the road to where you are today has been very, very interesting. What are some of the highlights of your career? My job brings experiences to me every day that on any given day, I'm going to do something that almost anybody else that joins me that doesn't do this for a living is going to consider one of the experiences of their lifetime. Mm. And I'll give you an example because I just told the story yesterday while we were filming Best Boat. I was coming back from Walker's K in the Bahamas one time, and I was about 45 miles off of Jupiter, Florida, heading back towards Florida, and I saw a splash way off in the distance. And, you know, as a fisherman, we see something like out of the ordinary. A splash in the water usually indicates there's going to be some fish there, and I swing over by. Let's go see what this is all about. Maybe we'll catch something on the way back. And as I got closer, I see there's a big slick in the water, and I see something splashing. And a slick usually indicates that there's blood in the water or some type of feeding going on. As I got closer to it, I realized that there was a whale on the surface, and I got close enough to see that it was a a full-grown, probably 35-foot-long sperm whale. There was a bunch of blood, and I said, well, wow, this thing must have got hit by like a big great white shark or a mako shark or something's going on. I got closer to the thing, and I realized there was another whale, and that whale got in between me and the one that was bleeding, and rolled over and looked up at everybody on the boat. I was looking in the thing's eye. It was like Moby Dick. And we looked in this whale's eye, and I said, man, look at this. This whale is trying to prevent us from getting close to this injured other whale. Well, as it happens, the blood clears out a little bit, and I look, and there's a tail of a baby. This thing is birthing a cat. Oh, amazing. And, well, we sat there just in silence watching this baby whale pop out, The mother rolls around, gets up underneath it, lifts it to the top. All three of them take a breath. That little baby, I can still hear it, goes, and takes one little breath, and they all just bow over and go down. And I watched them go into the abyss until I couldn't see them. 
and then I watched them on my fish finder and I lost sight of them on my on my echo sounder at about seven eight hundred feet down and that was it I'm like this little whale just came into the world and then one breath and you're heading to the wow. deep blue who knows what's what and we just everybody was like wow you know and then <laughs> yeah. you know we didn't even talk about it for like 15 minutes and we drove on and got back home and I was like thinking about, well, I got to do when I get back to the dock and all those people were so flabbergasted. I mean, I still remember the incident. I'm sure every one of them tells that story at cocktail parties to this day. And that was probably 25 years ago. That's amazing. Stuff like that is the kind of thing that we get to see. And that would be certainly a highlight, but I mean, literally I'm just privileged to be able to spend my life out in the outdoors and see stuff like that on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah, tell me, tell me about some of the people that you have guided on your boat. Anyone famous? Where I live, you know, Dan, it's a really affluent community around here in this part of Florida. And there's a lot of, I mean, I've got a lot of athletes for clients, professionals, and the movie people, and you know, a lot of very wealthy people in business and stuff like that. So I've definitely taken my share. And you know, people ask me that question all the time. That's one of the first things a lot of people say is, "Who have you taken famous?" Like that's some type of a you know, qualification if you're really a good guy, you know, and I treat everybody the same though. You know, I've taken lots of like titans of industry, billionaires, movie stars, and a good example of my philosophy towards taking famous people. I take famous people out and I treat them like regular people and I take regular people and I treat them like they're famous. (laughs) That's awesome. And, you know, Paul Newman was one of my customers for many years and Paul Newman fished with me. And the first time he fished with me, we had a long day, and the first thing I was calling him Mr. Newman, and that's just out of respect because he was an older guy than I was, and I and he was like, please call me Paul, call me Paul. So we fished all day, and we joked around and got to be, you know, friendly, and he would fly down from Connecticut for the day and mm-hmm. fish with me and then fly home the same day, and he said, we're going to get dinner at this restaurant. We'd love you to join us, and I said, Paul, listen, I have got so much to do to wrap this day up, and I got to fish early. Can I take a rain check? He was flabbergasted that I passed up the opportunity to sit down with him for dinner. And he laughed about it. He's like, oh, you know, no big deal, right? And I said, no. And I said, I'll get you next time, you know, which I ended up happening. But, like, I think that made an impression on him that I was not overly impressed with him as a movie star. I mean, I liked him as a person. But if you and I were fishing together, Dan, and I had the same schedule ahead of me, I would have said the same thing to you. I like fishing with anybody that just gets it. It doesn't have to be somebody famous. I mean... I like people that get the outdoors. I want somebody that appreciates the whole experience and loves nature. And, you know, nowadays in this age, we see a lot of Instagram anglers and all they're really concerned about is getting that picture they can post or, you know, like, what can we do here to show the world how great I am mm-hmm. in a picture? And they don't regard the fish as a living thing or the environment. They just don't get it. They, you know, they do not get it. I, I want to get behind a guy that respects nature and appreciates the value of everything that we're doing and all living things for that matter. And, you know, when they become aware of the fact that living things are all connected, like I said, in the, you know, all things merge together. I mean, you have empathy, empathy for the life that we encounter every day. is really important. I mean, that the whole experience becomes so much more meaningful if you do. And that the whole day is greater because of it, you know, yeah. I mean, it's just the way it is. Give me a guy, Danny, who's like a, produce stalker in the supermarket that works 40 hours a week and he's got a wife and a kid at home and all that. But that guy saves up a little bit of money every week to afford one half day trip with me on my boat. And that guy, he's going to have a love for the outdoors if he's willing to sacrifice like that. 
that guy's saving up all this time. And he just wants to experience the outdoors in a way that he can't do on his own. And he sacrifices a lot, you know, to make that happen on my boat. Danny, literally I'll chew through plexiglass to make that guy's day memorable. <laughs> I'm sure of that. I'm sure of that. I remember fishing with you. Let me ask you this. And, and I think I'm already know what the answer is, but what, right. was, what was your best day and your worst day fishing? Oh man, I'm surprised you say you think you know what your be- what the answer is. I'm I'm curious to hear what you think about uh, of that. But, I uh, I kind of feel like you're going to say you've never had a bad day fishing. Well, I've definitely had bad days fishing, Dan. I mean, you know, let me start out with good days. I'll tell you what's a good day. There's no way for the amount of good days I've had to just say this was the best day. But people come to me with like a bucket list item or like you know, fishing's a really goal oriented sport. You're eventually going to have some kind of a mark you set or a goal you want to reach in fishing. And if they come to me for help to achieve that goal, first thing is that they have confidence that I can make it happen. That puts extra pressure on me, too. Um, You know, then I want it as much as they do, and it becomes both of our goals. If I'm trying to make somebody's goal happen, somebody's, like, bucket list thing happen, if it becomes my goal, it it becomes a personal thing, and I'm going to try way harder. Right. And if everything comes together, which it very often does, it's like lightning in a bottle for them, whether it's them catching a world record or taking somebody out and their their kid catches their first fish or uh, even if it's just a personal best or something like that for them, if they walk away from it feeling like they accomplished their goal, even though I might have done it a bunch of times in the past, it's like I get to experience it all over with them. That's the best case scenario for me. Now, bad days, there's plenty of those too. I mean, you know, it's usually not anything related to the fishing. It's there's a lot of storms, there's dangerous weather we fish in. I mean, I've had fires on boats. I've been sinking on boats. I've really? had medical emergencies. Even people die. I mean, you know, it's oh, all wow. part of the territory here. And we learn to deal with it. And, hey, maybe that makes us more capable of dealing with kind of everyday stuff when we're just on the beach doing our everyday lives. But it's part of the cost of doing business. You know, what I don't like, the really worst things for me, and nobody likes this, is when you lose somebody to the ocean. I've been in this business for a long time. If you stay in it long enough, you're eventually going to know somebody who sinks in a boat and doesn't come back. And that's never easy. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, fishing's a great job, but it, when it, if anybody ever tells you at least they die doing what they love, that's nonsense, dude. I mean, <laughs> yeah, nobody who works on the water wants to go out that way. I mean, I want to die in my sleep taking a nap in the woods when I'm like 90 with the sun shining on my face and birds singing in the background. Me too. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, I've got a saying that I recite every single time I get back to the dock. When I shut the motors off and the boat's in the slip, every day I say, cheat to death one more time. I say it out loud to everybody, and they all chuckle about it. So there you have it. What was one thing a client got from fishing with you that you or them were not expecting? When people come fishing with me initially, they're often really surprised how easy it is to become friends with a guide, you know, if they're willing to. Over the years, I value the relationships I've formed with people. And, you know, I, I make them turn off their cell phones and try and take it all in. And really, I want to treat the people on the boat like they're friends first because I want them to feel like they're fishing with a friend, not just paying someone to bring them to fish, you know. So if you do that, I mean, eventually some of them are going to become like my family. I mean, if I fish with them for years and I've had many people that that's been exactly the case. I mean, I've seen them get married. I've seen them have kids, watch the kids born, uh, you know, caught their first fish for the kid, watch them graduate, watch them get married, 
I've seen them become grandparents. Even and you know, I've been doing it long enough to even see some of them go to the ground there and been to their funerals too. And mm-hmm. you know, that's really special. And I think a lot of people don't expect that when they think they're just jumping on a charter boat. I mean, and not everybody ends up like that in your life, but the ones that do, and there's been a bunch of them, you know, that's kind of special. Um, those people become as much a part of my story as I become one of theirs, you know? George, according to research, being out in nature creates mental and emotional wellness, especially for youth. Numerous studies have shown that nature is truly a healing place. What are your thoughts on that? If you're not out in the outdoors, man, and you're not seeing nature happen all around you, if you're just glued to like a a device all day long and that's your thing when you're a kid, you're just missing a lot of important life lessons. When you become aware of the fact that all living things are basically connected and you start having empathy for all the stuff around you, you know, your life changes because of it. I mean, the outdoor experience becomes better, but your life in general, the way you look at other people changes, mm. you know, and you'll start to develop a different outlook on the way you conduct yourself in the world. When you see, you know, living and dying happening and you'll feel, you know, really excited or really happy about something or really sad about other things, you'll start to get empathy for the human condition more. I mean, and that's a lesson that you can't teach early enough in somebody's life. What's the most important thing or the most important lesson that you learned from the outdoors? And what was your life like before it and after learning it? You and I grew up together in an environment. You know, there's guys that I grew up with that you grew up with that ended up just going to manual labor and never left the neighborhood. And they're probably still sitting on the same bar stool where I left them 40 years ago. Nobody back when I first left Massachusetts ever believed I could travel the world and have experience like I've had and, and, you know, be successful at something as unusual as the career that I ended up in. And mostly people tried to talk me out of it, you mm-hmm. know, following a dream because they were afraid to follow their own dream. You know, fortunately for me, I was stubborn and tried anyway. And, you know, I didn't set out to try and be a fisherman for a living. I just wanted to fish. I decided I'd rather not tear walls down on a construction job or dig holes or do something. I'm just going to go fishing and all I need is enough to survive on. And as long as I keep fishing, I'm good. That's kind of how it started out for me. Mm. And ultimately, after a lifetime of grinding away at it, this job just happened to me. I mean, the turning point for me was when I, you know, when I basically went from being a fishing bum to a kind of a commodity in this industry was after I kind of worked my skills and spent a long enough time to realize I could actually be an asset worth paying for to some people in a really unusual way. Um, you know, I learned how to do something really well that most people are never going to get the chance to become as accomplished at it as we do just because they don't have the time to sacrifice, you know, to, to learn the way we learn when we gave up everything to do it. So all the time I spent sleeping in my truck, living on boats, traveling around third world, all that stuff, developing the skill pays off. And one day I realized that there's people, affluent people in my part of the country that basically had the bug for fishing like I did, but they're too busy making a fortune to devote that amount of time, you know, to master it like we do. And they would pay for my assistance. And when I figured that out, it was really game on, you know, if you're willing to work like a refugee, at something that you enjoy and that adds value to somebody else's life for as long as it takes and make the sacrifices necessary to become good at it. I mean, this is a takeaway for me. You don't need a college education. You don't need a leg up from your uncle who owns the company. I mean, you can create a demand 
for your services and make a living at it. And kids today really need to know this. I mean, the young people today, I think there's a sense of hopelessness in the world that really, it kind of hurts my heart, you know? And if I had somebody as a role model when I was a kid that kept hammering the message into my head that I could do something like this until I believed it, things probably would have been a lot easier for me. You know, I'd still probably be right here where I'm at, but it would have happened a lot faster. Mm. Moving forward then, will you be striving to be more creative or more productive? Oh man, absolutely creative. I'm going to be productive no matter what, because I just can't sit still. But I mean, the creative (laughs) side of me, you know, I try to be creative in my everyday life, but I mean, if I didn't have to go out and strike out and keep those lights on and pay that mortgage, I mean, I just do nothing but sit around and do creative stuff. And you know what, honestly, my my experience in front of the camera in the last few years here with the TV and all that stuff has kind of really fired up an interest in doing some behind the lens work. Yeah, I love photography. I've always done it. But videography, that media really is something that appeals to me a lot. And I'd like to take some time to try and tell some stories and maybe share a look at the outdoors that a lot of people never get to see. Yeah. Well, I want to tell you that you're great on camera. You're such a great host and such a great talent on camera. Easy now. Yeah. What? <laughs> so, so what's next? What's next for you? The next move of my life is trying to do that really, whether it's through being creative in the video and stuff. I mean, I want to bring awareness to more people that don't take the time to really observe nature. And I've made a concerted effort to do this in my day-to-day life with a lot of people. And I end up being like that nerd that's Mm. telling you what kind of bird that is or what kind of fish that is, or some facts about that animal or whatever that you might never know. And I want to get people to really observe the outdoor world and, you know, in a way to try and see it the way I see it, you know, look at a wild thing like a bird or a fish or a deer in the woods, or even your pet, you know, if you can imagine what that, animals day consists of minute by minute day by day and try and put yourself in that thing's shoes it's a weird thing to consider like if you look at an animal and try and imagine what their life is like you'll gain a whole different understanding of what's going on in the outdoors and you'll start applying that same stuff to people that you meet in the outdoors too you know i mean everything around us dan is trying to show us that if you pay attention you're going to see that we're all from the most basic thing like this mosquito buzzing around my ankles on my truck to the most majestic thing. I mean, uh, that sperm whale that I watched born. I mean, mm. all of us, you and I, we're all going to finish our time here in the same place, buddy. Yeah. And if people could only realize this and enjoy the ride together, you know, I mean, if you learn to value everything, all things, regardless of what similarities we have or differences we have and just go with the flow. I don't know, man. Wouldn't that be something? George, that would be great. That would. <laughs> Dude, don't forget. Yeah. If I no. leave you with anything, it's all <laughs> things merge into one. I'm going to, I'm going to get the billboard right around the corner from my house and put it up there. I love that. I absolutely love that. It's called edgesportfishing.com. That's your business. Captain George Labonte. How can people uh, reach you? Well, as you said, it's edgesportfishing or edgesportfishing inshore. They're both linked together and check out the website. If you need to reach out to me, my phone number's on there. I'm easy to find. At some point, I'm coming down there, and I'm going to hop on a boat with you, and we're going to fish again like we did in the old days. I'm going to put links in the show notes so people can reach out to you and have an adventure of a lifetime. Great talking to you today. George, thanks again for being on 15 Minutes Of. It was great to be your guest, Dan. Come on down, man. I'll be here. 
George remains that same person I knew all those years ago. His basic personality has not changed a bit. His wry sense of humor, his deep feeling of connection with our existence, and his love of the wild is as strong, if not stronger, than I remember it. They say there are two important days in one's life. The day you are born, and the day you find out why. I believe that it's his authenticity toward himself and others that has helped him realize why he is here on this tiny spinning ball. He didn't force his dream to come true. He simply decided to live it, without expectation and without an eye toward monetary gain. Instead, he followed his instinct and like a modern day Thoreau, lived simply and with purpose. And while many of us feel compelled to mutate ourselves to follow social norms, he allowed what was in his DNA to survive and thrive. In tune with his fundamental spirit, he exemplifies the meaning of the term, being true to who you really are. He is yet another example to me that the world is a great place with good people doing awesome things. Until next time, I'm Dan Tebow. This is 15 Minutes Of.